uh, happy anniversary. What anniversary are we celebrating now? I told you uh, this is the one year anniversary of our food pantry. Yeah. You can be excited about that. Yesterday they had 45 families come to the church and then we had another 12 deliveries that we took out to people that couldn't get here. And so I just want to thank you for your generosity and uh, for your partnership in this way. It started as a dream about what could God do in us and through us to reach our community. And, uh, and so we've done it a year. It's incredible. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had 1,800 pounds of food delivered on a skid one day, and, and they put it in our lobby, and they thought, well, what are we going to do now? And so we kind of went through the office. Who's got time to deal with this? And it came down to me, so I got to move all that food from the lobby down to the food pantry, and then right after that, 500 pounds of apples came in, and so partnerships uh, with our community are happening. And so that's a good reason to celebrate. How many of you would consider yourself a good celebrator? Anyone, you're a good celebrator? Yeah, you like to celebrate? You're, I'm a celebrator, always looking for a reason to celebrate. Anyone would say you're kind of a poor celebrator? You know, you don't, yeah, you, know, you don't like to make a big deal about things. You know, have you ever had that nagging feeling that you're forgetting something? You ever had that feeling? It's like that nagging feeling, that unshakable feeling. It's even worse when you don't have the nagging feeling and you're just completely oblivious and forgotten altogether. Have you ever forgot to call someone on their birthday? Maybe it was your, your parents or your sibling. Uh, you know, maybe it was a, a friend. Uh, or maybe this is even, this is the worst, is when you spend the day with them and you forget. And then after they leave, you're like, oh my goodness, I feel like such a fool, right? And you call them. Uh, forgotten celebra celebrations are the worst. It's, it's especially bad when you forget your significant other. Now, I have a little bit of help in that department. My wife's birthday is on Christmas Eve. And so every Christmas Eve, I have this prompt that, you know, it's Jesus' birthday and her birthday. And so, and with a name like Holly Noel, like you can't forget it's her birthday coming up at Christmas. Uh, a survey of 2,000 Americans uh, found that 35% of them have had their birthday forgotten by their significant other. Can you believe that? In the survey, they said one in five men who have forgotten were able, uh, were unable to recover. They were unable to, you know, of the one in five, four of them were like, oh my goodness, I almost forgot. And that last minute, they kind of eked out a plan, you know, that last minute reservation. Maybe they got home from work and like, yes, of course we're going out, honey. <laughs> you know, but one in five were unable to recover. 36% of people confess to telling their significant other not to do anything for my birthday, but really wanting them to do something. 36%. So if, if your significant other says, don't make a big deal out of it, make a big deal out of it, all right? 12% of people admit to fighting over a poorly planned celebration. Oh, have you ever had that on the car ride home where you just say, oh, it didn't go the way that I hoped? And 17% admit to planning their own birthday party just so that it would be good. <laughs> right? It's important not to forget to celebrate. Right? Celebrating is important. As I said, some of us are better at it than others. You know, for those that uh, would say that they don't celebrate too well, uh, many of them would say, well, I tend to minimize accomplishments. 
You know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, some of them would say, well, I just want to over, I overemphasize my humility. I don't want to celebrate. You know, if I'm celebrating me or my accomplishment, then I feel like that, you know, makes me look unhumble or, or proud. They don't celebrate for that. Some of us don't let ourselves enjoy success for fear that we might lose them. Right? And so we don't want to acknowledge our accomplishment for fear that we might lose them. And others don't celebrate the small wins because the work isn't finished. I mean, there's always more work to do. And so some people are in that mindset saying, well, I don't have time to celebrate. There's always more to do. Some of us would say we have negativity bias. We're always consumed with what's not right that we forget to celebrate what is right. There's like the silver lining right? And others of us are always focused on what's next, right? We come through one accomplishment, but we're looking to the next challenge, the next goal, and the next obstacle. And so we forget to celebrate the moment that we're in. But I want to tell you this morning, it's important not to forget to celebrate. Celebration, big or small, is really about taking a moment to pause and notice the good in your life. Now that could be as big as a party, uh, maybe a, a meal. I like to celebrate with meals in case you can't tell. I love meals. So a lot of you, are, you've, you've picked up on that fact. You know, whether it's going out for ice cream or going out for a burger, a meal is a great way to celebrate in my opinion. Very biblical, lots of meals. Maybe for you, celebration is a coffee alone. You know, I just need a little, just a moment in my cubicle with me and a coffee to celebrate. Some of you are celebrating with sending notes of appreciation. Uh, even just like a high five, an acknowledging the moment, or a whispered prayer. Developing a habit of celebration is healthy, and it's also spiritual. It's healthy to acknowledge the progress that you're making in your life. And this is what happens when we celebrate. Psychologists tell us that we borrow emotional energy from the success that are going to enable us to overcome future obstacles. When I celebrate, I'm borrowing energy from this success to help me overcome future obstacles. So it's developing a habit of celebration is healthy. It's also spiritual. The Jewish Talmud, that's the Jewish um, teachings that the Jews have, uh, the rabbinic teachings that kind of explain the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, this, this is what it says, and it says, when we fail to thank God for, what we th fail to thank God for is as though we stole the blessing from God. Now, the idea is that whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pride in our life. So it's a spiritual practice to have a habit of celebration. Celebration is important to God. In Exodus 23, 14, this is what God told uh, the Israelites. He said, each year you must celebrate three festivals in my honor. And so he told the people, I want you to celebrate the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so I want you to celebrate your deliverance from the Egypt. I want you to celebrate the harvest, the first fruits, and I want you to celebrate the final harvest. And as we see as that goes from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see this as celebrating freedom and deliverance from sin. In the day of Pentecost, we're celebrating God's giving of that helper, the Holy Spirit. And then in the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the gathering of all believers into one body. And so when we celebrate on a moment today, like today when we come to church, we're having a, a feast, a party as it was, a celebration of God and what he's done in our lives. 
I love, along with this, these feasts, there's plenty of other feasts. And I love in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, God gives this idea of a seven-day party. And on this uh, seven-day party, he gives specific instructions that on the first day and on the eighth day of the party, you're supposed to rest. And in the middle, it's just a big feast and party in between. How many want to go to a seven-day party with a nap on the first and the eighth day? I just think that would be amazing. See, when we celebrate, we're creating moments that allow us to look back in reflection, right? We, even if it's just a pause, we're looking at accomplishments, we're looking at growth, we're looking at regrets and how we've overcome them, and really we're saying, look at God's faithfulness. We're looking back in reflection, and we're looking forward in expectation. We're looking forward to the opportunities, possibilities, and the breakthrough that lay in front of us. Remember on my 40th birthday, just a couple of years ago, uh, my, my friend, he said, what do you, you're now in your 40s. What do you want your 40s to represent in your life? And I was like, man, I just wanted to have charcuterie, you know? I wasn't thinking about like these philosophical questions, but the idea is as I pause and reflect, as I look forward in reflection and look forward in expectation, what do you want God to do in your life. Well, last week we kicked off this new sermon series we're calling Altars, and we've been reflecting on some of the significant moments of our lives. And we were talking about how God wants to mark those moments with memories memories of His promises, memories of His presence, memories of His power. And then we want to mark them with celebration celebration of His faithfulness, His blessing, and His provision. So last week we saw how Abraham had built an altar of covenant. And it represented that as God has been with me, he will be with me. And so today I want us to continue to look. We're going to look at a different Old Testament hero. We're going to look at Joshua along with the nation of Israel as they build an altar of celebration. As you turn with me in your Bible, to Joshua chapter 3. An altar of celebration. In Joshua chapter 3, it describes this pivotal moment when the nation of Israel finds themselves back at the same uh, place where the generation 40 years before them had been. But for them, it represents a new chapter, a new season of their life. Have you ever found yourself on the threshold of a new chapter or a new season of your life? And as they are in this season, they're looking to the past and reflection, but they're also looking forward to the future with expectation. And so they're on the same uh, place where the ancestors had been 40 years before, but now it's this new generation. Uh, a new generation is finding themselves on the bank of the Jordan River, staring across it towards the promised land. See, 40 years earlier, the same people who had been freed from the tyranny of Egypt, who had been, slave from slavery, uh, who had been freed from slavery, had been led by God to this place to enter into the promised land. But in that moment, as we're mostly well aware, that they had frozen in fear. They were overthinking the obstacle that lied ahead of them, and they had what we call analysis of paralysis. Have you ever had that? The paralysis of analysis where you just get overthinking. You're thinking of all the reasons why you can't and what could go wrong. And they had been stopped in their tracks because of it. Deuteronomy, we'll, we'll go there first. Deuteronomy 1, 26 says, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you refused to go in. You complained in your tents and you said, the Lord must hate us. That's why he has brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with their report. 
And so we are familiar with that story as spies go into the land and they get looking around at all the reasons why it wouldn't be a good idea to follow God's leading. They, they looked at the inhabitants of the land, that they were bigger, taller, stronger, that their walls were fortified. And as they looked at this, they came back with this report and they said this uh, challenge that God has put before us is too big for us. Deuteronomy 1.30, though, Moses is writing to them and he says, the Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness just as a father cares for his children. And now he has brought you to this place. But even after all he did, you refused to trust the Lord your God who goes before you. And so we saw that the outcome of that uh, interaction between Israel and God had led to them wandering for 40 years in the desert. We saw that God was trying to lead them to this place of trust and obedience and following him. But now on this day, 40 40 years later, things are different. The Bible tells us that all of that unfaithful generation had died off and it was a new generation standing uh, and they were filled with faith. They were, had the faith that God would give them the land they had promised. They had the courage to confront whatever might lie ahead. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but often it's not your circumstances that God changes. Often it's your perspective. You ever notice that? It's not that things have become easier. It's that something's welled up inside of you, that there is a boldness, a courage, and a faith that rises. It's the same scenario, but a refreshed resolve. You know, sometimes even in the natural world, sometimes we you tackle problems, right? We just gotta, we know we gotta, we just gotta sleep on it. You ever had that thing where you were kind of working on it, you just couldn't get it, and you just kind of, you know, relegated it to the shelf for, you know, months or whatever it is, but then you come back to it and it's like the easiest thing, right? It's like, you know, 10 minutes later, you're like, why didn't I do that months ago, right? It's like, what, what home improvement, I don't know, I can think of lots of things in my life where I should have got to it earlier, <laughs> right? It becomes much simpler. It's the same scenario, but there's this refreshed resolve, this refreshed perspective. And so God had raised up a new generation that was determined to follow after God wherever, however, no matter the difficulty, the circumstances hadn't changed, but the conditions of their hearts had. When it comes to this text today in Joshua chapter three, verse one, it says, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove, and they arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. And then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. The ark of the covenant represented the very presence of God. In Exodus 25, we see the instructions God gave Israel for its construction. So it's just a wooden box, four feet by two feet, two feet tall, and uh, overlaid inside and out with pure gold. Gold rings on its side through which golden poles were placed to carry it. If you ever watched Indiana Jones, uh, you'll know what it looks like. (laughs) But the ark's lid was called the atonement cover or the mercy seat. 
And on the lid of this ark, there were two golden cherubim with their, angel, their wings outstretched. And this is the significance of the ark. In Exodus 25, 22, this is what God says to Israel. He says, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the golden cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. From there, I will give my commands for the people of Israel. See, the ark was a place God said he would meet with the people and speak to them. It literally represented the Lord's presence and leading among them. And so Joshua's instruction to the people is crystal clear. He says, when you see God move, you move. He said, pursue God's presence and respond to his leading. How many want that to be your motto, your modus operandi for your life? When you see God move, you move. Respond to his presence. Lean into his presence and respond to his leading. Francis Chan says, if I stop pursuing God, I'm letting our relationship deteriorate. We never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. What he's just saying is just God, we talked about his goodness that chases after me, his blessing that chases after me, but really it's us pursuing his presence in our lives. I love how Joshua tells the people, prepare yourselves, purify yourselves, pursue God's presence. Tomorrow, you're gonna see God move among you. If we wanna see God moving in our lives, we wanna grow closer to him, then we need to lean in to his presence and respond to his leading. Verse 14 says, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was a harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Israel was determined to move beyond their nation's past failures. They were ready to confront the challenge that lay ahead. I don't know if you ever found yourself in this place where you're ready, like, okay, I'm ready to tackle. I know there's a challenge in front of me, but I'm up for it only to find that there's an unexpected challenge that lay in front of that challenge. So right? Israel's like, yeah, we know we're gonna go in the promised land, we know it's gonna be a challenge, but they come to the banks of the Jordan River to discover an unforeseen hurdle. The banks of the river itself are swollen and overflowing in flood season. They've worked up the courage, they've worked up the challenge, and all of a sudden they're confronted with an unforeseen challenge. How I many of that could be demoralizing, right? You get yourself up for it, and all of a sudden you're like, but I wasn't expecting this. They were working up to get past the past failures. They wanted to move forward from their past regrets and mistakes, and all of a sudden there's this unforeseen obstacle. Not only just taking the land is gonna be a challenge, but even getting into the land is going to be a challenge. Verse 15 says, but as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now, notice with me the sequence of events. As they come to this river, it says, as soon as the feet of the priests touched the water. 
Last week we were talking about how pursuing the presence of God and, and uh, responding to the calling of God is often best illustrated by the, the motion doors at the grocery store, right? We talked about how often those doors appear to be closed until we take that step towards them, until we get into motion and then they respond, right? They open up. Oftentimes when we feel God leading us, it's like we take that first step and we can't see what's opening in front of us until we get into motion, until we take that first step. So how many have discovered that breakthroughs in life rarely happen while you're sitting on the sidelines waiting for the circumstances to change. Rarely ever do we sit in the pew and say, God, I'm going to wait here until the circumstances change. Breakthroughs in life really happen when we take steps of faith in response to God's word. Let me hear you say amen if that's true in your experience. See, often we want to sit in safety until we see the miracle uh, transpire in front of us, right? Often we want to hold on to security until we're certain that God's going to come through. The thing about trusting God, though, is that it's often coupled with those steps of faith and those acts of obedience. And so here's the thing. Israel has some previous experience with these impossible water crossings, don't they? Right? It's been in their history about how God had uh, crossed, uh, the, helped them cross the Red Sea. They were emboldened by their, uh, by their ancestors' history. The Red Sea crossing was legendary. You know, being pursued by Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, the, Israel had come to that Red Sea shore, and as they came to this impasse, God had miraculously parted the waters, allowing them to pass through on dry ground. And so I'm sure as they came to this river, they thought, what God's done before, he's going to do again. There's no doubt in my mind that as the, the priest trudged towards the Jordan River, uh, even at flood stage, they're expecting the same results. But this time, the miracle didn't seem to be happen, happening, and the waters didn't seem to be parting. Just picture with me. These priests are carrying the ark, and they're knowing that we're going to cross this, and the river's going to part, just like it did at the Red Sea. And as they get to the river, the first priest on the front end, their toes touch the water. Nothing seems to be happening. You know, they get into it ankle deep. Nothing seems to be happening. They're up to their knees, up to their waists. They're thinking, hold on now. This isn't how it's supposed to go. This isn't how the legendary stories of the Red Sea crossing, that's not how it went. Notice what it says in verse 16. The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. Theologians believe that Adam would have been about 15 miles up the river. How many know that when you part the water 15 miles up the river, that's still a lot of water that needs to pass by? And so as they stepped into those waters, stepping out in faith, they were facing their obstacles. It felt as though it seemed like God wasn't doing anything. It seemed as though God wasn't parting the waters like he had in the past. They couldn't see that God was already at work a great distance away. I mean, sometimes we don't see God at work, and it doesn't seem like God is at work, but God is already upstream working on your breakthrough, right? Sometimes God is already in your tomorrow, working ahead on his blessing. He's already gone before you, even though you aren't seeing the results yet. I want to encourage you with that today. Even though you are taking the steps of faith and you're wondering, what am I doing in this place? It doesn't seem like God is doing what he said he would do. God has already gone ahead of you, working on the breakthrough. 
Our role is to pursue his presence and respond to his leading. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Turn your neighbor and say, don't give up. Turn your other neighbor and say, don't give up. Now say it to yourself, don't give up. Say your name, say your name right here, Jeremy. Don't give up. See, here's the thing about Israel's journey. They've been all over the map. In the past 40 years, they've been all over the map. They've been wandering the desert, following God's direction. And in the process, they were developing under his discipline. They were relying on his provision. To the untrained eye, their journey looked confusing and made no sense. I mean, when you're a preacher, you could always find illustrations in anything. And so I don't know about you, but like, when you take your socks off, like, do you throw them in the wash inside out? Or right side. I, I, I often do some of the laundry at our house. I, I'm a full participator in the, the laundry uh, doing at our house. I share in that role. And uh, by uh, talking to, you know, Ken Russell, our district superintendent, he was telling me this week at our conference that his wife will not let him do the laundry because he doesn't do it right. <laughs> I should have learned that right off the bat. But anyways. <laughs> Holly doesn't care about it getting done right. She just wants to get it done, right? And so what I've noticed especially about my kids, is that they always throw their socks inside out, into the laundry. If you put your socks inside out, how many know where the dirt is? The dirt's on the inside, right? How is it supposed to come clean? That's my frustration. Anyways, please, launder your socks properly, okay, people? And so while I'm helping with the laundry, I often get the socks that are inside out, and I had these socks, and I was looking at these socks, and I thought, these are ugly socks. The, the, the sewing and the threads on the socks is just random, it's ugly, it doesn't look like anything very good. And it reminded me of how Israel's journey was ugly, random, and it didn't look like it made any sense. And as I was looking at these socks, I had to turn them inside out. And as I got to the other side, that's when I discovered that the pattern made sense, that the pattern was appealing, that the pattern was beautiful. And I was wondering how many times we look at our lives and we're like, God, I'm looking where you're taking me. I'm looking at my journey and it looks kind of ugly and confusing. It doesn't look very enticing. But God is just saying to us today, when you get to the other side, you're going to see the beauty. You're going to see the design. You're going to see the pattern, the intricacy, and the intention of what I was trying to build in your life. Sometimes it's not until we get to the other side until we see the beauty of the process. Can you say amen if you've experienced that? Lessons from the Laundry with Jer. <laughs> I should start a podcast. That would be a good theme. I don't think anyone's doing that one. It would be a niche just for me. Joshua chapter 4 verse 1 says this. When the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, and tell them, Take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua has 12 men that he chooses, and he says, go to the middle of the Jordan. And from the middle of that river, I want you to take 12 stones. I want you to carry them out on your shoulders. So they must have been big enough. Like I would have just picked like, you know, the smallest one, but carry it on your shoulder. <laughs> take 12 stones, carry them out, and pile them up at the place we will camp tonight. We're going to build an altar, an altar of celebration 
couple of verses later, <laughs> it's funny to me if you're reading, it says that they took 12 stones out, and then it says that he also took 12 stones and put them in the middle. And so I don't know if he got 12 other stones or there's just lots there, but he piled them up in the middle of that uh, river as well. There's one on the camp and one in the middle. But how many know that it's like God knows how easily we forget what he's done in our lives? It's like every new obstacle causes us to have a faint heart and to fear again. So he tells him, mark the place and celebrate where you've seen me at work. Celebrate the breakthrough that I've accomplished in your life. That's what God wants to do. He wants us to mark the places and celebrate the moments where God speaks to us, where he reveals himself to us, where he experiences leading, his healing, his provision. Two really simple ways I want to encourage you just to mark the moments is to, to journal, to write it down. How many know you think in the moment, like, I'll never forget this, right? But you do. The memory fades. You forget the details. Write it down. Keep a journal of, of the blessing of what God's done that enables you to look back later and remember what God has done. Another way is to share the stories. Share the stories of how God's revealed himself to you. Never get tired of talking and celebrating God's goodness and his blessing in your life because not only does it remind you of what God's done, but it actually encourages the people you're sharing with. I love reflecting on the moments is important to remember the faithfulness of God, to learn the lessons those moments can bring. I love, I was talking to my friend Darren and I asked him today, Darren, how many days sober are you? And he told me the number, and I can't remember, 863, I think he said. And so I love Darren because he's always celebrating. He's always celebrating what God's done in his life and how he's found freedom from alcoholism. And what he's always celebrating, he's reminding himself to have courage and, and to continue to face the future. But he's also encouraging the people around him. I've seen so many times he celebrates on Facebook and other people write in a response to him, Darren, you're inspiring me. You're inspiring me in my journey. Sharing the stories of what God has done in our lives reminds us of how amazing God is and encourages the people we're sharing them with. So Israel takes these 12 stones from the middle of their obstacle and they carry them out and they build this monument, an altar of celebration. The Bible never said that we wouldn't face obstacles. Never said that life would be easy. We all go through obstacles and many things, but how many know that what you carry out of your obstacle will often become the altar of celebration. It will become the memorial. The thing that is facing you right now will become the thing that you celebrate and the thing that inspires you to keep going in the future. What you carry out as God sets you free from your addiction. What you carry out as uh, God heals you from your brokenness. What you carry out as God wipes away every tear and hurt. As God releases you from worry and fear, those things eventually become the memorial stones or the altars of celebration in your life. Here's why celebration is important to God, because your celebration becomes your motivation. You know, you think that if God was leading you, that everything would be smooth sailing, right? You have to think, if this is God's plan for my life, then it's going to be smooth sailing from here. That the life will be obstacle-free, but we know that following God in the promised land wasn't going to get any easier for the Israelites. In fact, the challenges were only going to get bigger. After crossing the Jordan River, what is the next obstacle that they faced? Do you remember? It's the walls of Jericho. 
The obstacles only get bigger. The challenges get harder. The next step means confronting something else. But your celebration becomes your motivation. By celebrating what God did last gives us the energy and the perspective for what God wants to do next. God's past faithfulness fuels our present faith. It's not that we live in the past, but we keep looking forward and moving forward with expectation. It's not that we live in the glory days of old, but we look forward to greater days, greater days as God goes before us. You know, there's so many moments in life where we think to ourselves, what am I doing here? What have I gotten myself into? Have you ever had that where you're like, I really thought God led me to this place, but now I'm really kind of wondering. <laughs> Maybe it was the pizza, you know? I had a dream, but now it's turning into a nightmare. I had faith, but now I have doubts. Your celebration becomes your motivation to keep trusting, keep following, keep relying, keep faithful, keep faith filled. Just as God's been with me, He will be with me. And your celebration becomes someone else's inspiration. Like I just said. Joshua 4, verse 6, talks about the purpose of this memorial. It says, you will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. It's important that what that we share what God's done in our life, how he's challenged us, how he's shaped us, how the obstacles he's led us through, through the crisis of faith that we've endured. You know, sometimes we look at people and we look at them as the picture of faith, right? That's the picture of what following Jesus looks like. We know we don't need pictures as much as we need patterns. Have you ever put anything together from Ikea? The instruction booklet is not very detailed, if you know what I mean, right? You kind of get the picture on the front of what it should be, and then you got to figure out how the pieces go together. It's not very clear sometimes, right? If you've ever bought your kids Transformers, right, those the toys, the cars that turn into dinosaurs, and, and you know, once you open that, it never goes back the same way. One time Holly was playing Lego with uh, one of our kids and she was following the instruction manual and after about 30 or 40 minutes she called me in and said, Jer, this doesn't look anything like the picture. Like, can you come and help us, right? And even following the instructions, uh, it didn't look like the picture. And I said, well, you didn't follow the instructions properly. How many know we don't just need the picture of the end result, we need the pattern of how to get there. Right, for all of you that are into crochet or you're into knitting, I've never tried my hand at it, maybe I should take that up, but it's, not one, it's one thing to show you the blanket. Here's the blanket, right? This is what it looks like, this is the sweater. It's another thing to have the pattern of how to put it together. And as Christians, we can't just stand here and go, this is what the pattern of following, this is the picture of what faithfulness looks like. This is the picture of what you know, determination and, and uh, following Jesus looks like. We gotta help the next generation see the pattern of how we got there. Right, it's not just to say I have good faith, I'm the picture of faith, I wanna show you, these are the patterns of how my faith was built. These are the stories, these are the obstacles that I went through. For me as a pastor, I've always been so thankful because I was eight years old when I watched my dad quit his job at Bell Canada and go to Bible college with a wife and two kids in tow. For me, it was a 
pattern of watching my dad say, if I can trust God with my family to start a second career and follow him uh, into his leading into ministry, how do I know that when God put his finger on my life and said, I want you to go to ministry, it was easy for me because I had seen the pattern of my dad's own obedience, right? Seeing someone, it's not, I don't want to just see where you're at now. I want to see how you got to where you're at, right? A picture versus a pattern. When we share, we celebrate what God's done in our life. We share the pattern, not just the picture. It's important for the next generation to know that others have gone this way before. A couple years ago, I had my kids. They were a little younger at that time, and uh, we were uh, on family vacation. And there's this uh, area in Ontario called the Warsaw Caves. Warsaw Caves are in a provincial park, and they're pretty famous, and they're just a small little uh, collection of caves, about eight caves, and you could go into the caves, and you go down through the little crack and crevices uh, into the cave, and so some of you are already already out, right? And you would be sitting outside the cave with Holly and Myla. They were not going in the caves, but Maddie and Jaden and I went down into the cave, and as we went into the cave, it was dark, it was damp. It was cold, and I had my two kids with me, and we were trying to find the exit to the cave. I didn't know the brochure they'd given me at the gate when I went to the provincial park had the map on it, the same brochure that I had given Holly to hold on to while I went into the cave. (laughs) And so I found myself in the first cave, halfway into the dark and the damp, and and, uh, and I'm lost. I'm starting to panic. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere with your kids. I'm thinking, I don't want to let them know that I don't know what's going on. But we're starting to have this moment of like, I don't know how to find the exit. And just in that moment, there was a light coming from the opposite end. And these two people came across from the opposite end and they had their headlamps on. And as they came, I said, do you know where the exit is? And they go, oh yeah, we just came. Just, and they showed me how to get to where the exit was. How many know that it's encouraging to know that uh, you know, someone else has gone before you? They were able to point me to where they had been so that I could find my way out of those caves. It's inspiring, it's motivation to know that someone else has gone this way before. As we celebrate, our celebration becomes someone else's inspiration. You can trust God. You can follow God because someone else has gone this way before. This morning, I don't know what you're carrying today. Maybe it's hurt or regret, missed opportunity. You're carrying that out from the obstacle. God said, I want to build that into an altar of celebration. I want to turn this place into an altar of celebration for a moment. Father, I just thank you this morning that we're going to get through what we're going through as we lean into your presence and as we follow your leading. God, I pray, Lord, for those of us that have been on the sideline waiting for the circumstances to change, I pray, God, that we'd be responding to the faith steps that you put in our heart to take. God, that we wouldn't wait another day. But I pray, Father, that we would be patterning, not just a picture of faith, but we'd be a pattern of faith to the generations coming behind us, Lord God. I pray for our youth returning from their camp this weekend, Lord God. I pray for our children downstairs. God, I pray for the next generation. God, that we wouldn't be like the Israelites lost in the wilderness. God, that we would be the generation who's saying, God, we will go where you lead us. God, we will do what you tell us, Lord Jesus. We will uh, face every obstacle, that we will endure every challenge because we know, Lord, that we will receive a blessing if we don't give up. So I pray right now, Lord, for the people in this place who are praying for their family members. 
God, I pray for those that are praying for freedom from addiction. God, I pray for those that are praying for breakthrough physically, Lord, in their bodies, Lord, for healing. God, I pray as we continue to push into a presence with you, God, as we build those altars of celebration in our life, God, that it would inspire us to keep going, that it would inspire the generations behind us, Lord, we pray to know of your faithfulness. God, I pray right now for the person that doesn't feel like celebrating. This just seems too hard, too heavy. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that there would be borrowed courage. Lord, as we see all the people in this room of different generations, different ethnicities, male, female, young, old, God, different walks of life. Lord Jesus, we've all encountered and experienced you as we stood and said, I've experienced the power of God in my life. I pray that we'd be able to borrow courage from that today and say, if they can get through what they've gone through, God, I can get through what I'm going through. I pray, Jesus, that as we go from this place, we'd be the biggest celebrators. Lord, that we'd be the biggest celebrators of small wins and big wins. God, of the little things and the big things, God, and all of it giving praise and glory back to you. Lord, as we celebrate, we make your name great. And so I pray that wouldn't just be something we do here Sundays. I pray that would be something that we do at our homes and our workplaces with our friends on the weekend. Lord, we'd be making much ado about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Are you ready to celebrate, church? Not just here this morning, but to go and celebrate Jesus and his goodness as you go. God bless you. I hope you have a great week.